For over 27 years, LearnIt has helped more than 2 million individuals develop new skills and empowered them with confidence to thrive in an ever-changing workforce. We welcome you to the LearnIt podcast, where we come together as employees, managers, executives, and learning champions from across the globe to take time to focus on our professional development. Together, we will tackle today's toughest challenges and dive into the topics that are key to success in today's workplace. Stay tuned to listen and learn from LearnIt expert instructors and the LearnIt community in order to upskill, reskill, and achieve overall success in your career. To learn more about LearnIt and our diverse offerings of soft skill, business application, and health and wellness workshops, please visit www.learnit.com. We are so excited to have you here for our leadership panel with some incredible leaders in the nonprofit sector around how to drive impact and lead with purpose. Um, so I'm honored to be here with Michael Dismuke from Eden Housing, Erica Kish from uh, Compass Family Services, and Annie uh, Tattenen from JBS. Um, we're thrilled to be in partnership with Foundation Fighting Blindness as well. I want to introduce our speakers. Uh, we'll start with an introduction kind of each speaker um, and their story, and then, and then we'll get into some really good, uh, good juicy discussion. So I wanna start uh, with Michael. Michael, thank you so much for being here. Um, it's been a pleasure to partner with Eden Housing over the last couple of years and um, to get to know you, but I'm wondering if you could just start with a little bit about your story and, and what brought you to you know, the work you're doing today. Sure, um, Michael Dismuke, again, Eden Housing. Um, I grew up here in the Bay Area, I grew up in a nice beach town called Pacifica. Me and Carly talked about it before because she likes to surf. Um, and so, uh, Great life, you know, uh, ended up starting my own marketing agency eventually, like maybe a lot, a lot of people here dropped into um, working for a nonprofit. I was working for a conventional multifamily third party management company um, and wanted to stay in the Bay Area and expand my role. So I found Eden Housing. This was my first time learning about affordable housing, both tax credit, HUD, state and federal programs. And it really opened my eyes because we say at Eden Housing, home is where the start is. And I didn't realize until I got to Eden Housing, the positive impact it made me having a stable place to sleep every night. It made, it made a life-changing thing. And so I intended to be at Eden Housing like most dot-comers at the time for two to three years and bounce off to my next position. I've been there 16 years now because just like the need for water, there's a need for housing. So there's always plenty of work to do. Amazing, thank you. Um, thank you so much, Michael. And we'll dive into dive into it more in a moment. Um, I want to also introduce Erica Kish. Erica um, has been a partner of ours at Compass Family Services. Um, Erica, thanks so much, and would love to hear a little bit about your background as well. Sure. Thanks, Carly, and nice to see everyone from all over the world. So exciting and fun. Um, so I am from the East Coast originally, uh, but I've been out here for a number of decades. Um, I kind of always had it in my blood, I think, to be in the helping professions, um, you know, was kind of always championing the underdog, even when I was a little kid. Um, and in college, when I kind of realized I couldn't hack it with the organic chemistry um, to be pre-med, I went the social work route and came out to California, sort of seeking my fortune and San Francisco. 
And um, I saw the Tenderloin neighborhood, which if you're not from here and don't know, it's you know a really kind of rough and tumble area with just lots of suffering, lots of you know mostly poverty. And I was like, this is where I want to work. This is where I want to have my career, which is probably an unusual response. Um, and um, I originally uh, worked with teens, um, teen boys in trouble, who I just adored. Um, and then I started an organization called the Homeless Children's Network, providing therapy and um, advocacy for children in all of the homeless shelters and the domestic violence shelters in San Francisco several decades ago, like three decades ago, which is still around. Um, and then I wound up at Compass Family Services, which is where I am today. Um, and we were, the organization is over 100 years old, but was just kind of turning its focus exclusively to family homelessness because homelessness was becoming this huge social issue in San Francisco and all over the country. Um, and 27 years later, I'm still here, um, never left. And um, unfortunately, the program, the problem has not really improved. Um, you know, homelessness has gotten worse, but we have grown and do amazing work. And um, this past year, we helped 8,500 parents and children from homeless or at-risk families. And, uh, you know, we, I kind of sometimes try to think about it as, you know, one family at a time, um, you know, getting out of homelessness, moving forward towards stability, meeting their goals, changing generational patterns, um, you know, bringing resources to uh, to the issue. So that's me. Thank you. Thank you so much, Erica. Um, amazing. And Annie, Annie would love to um, just get an introduction of, of who you are and, and how you came to JBS. Thank you so much, Carly, and uh, everyone for joining. It is really inspiring to see everyone from around the world um, being in the Bay Area and serving mostly in the Bay Area. Um, that's often the focus, so it's really nice to, to see such the global presence and, and everyone across the states. Uh, my name is Annie. I'm the Director of Tech Training Programs at JVS, Jewish Vocational Services in San Francisco. Um, so while my colleagues here are helping people attain housing stability we're on the side of helping people attain job um, stability and, and economic uh, stability through work uh, so we really need each other you know we can't do our work without compass families and services and, and eden housing because we really need to make sure people are stable in in their lives before looking looking for jobs so um, i grew up here in the bay area as well i was born in san francisco and then uh, spent most of my life in a little hippie town called Fairfax uh, over in, in Marin County. Um, and then I'm back in San Francisco. I live in the inner sunset. My backyard is Golden Gate Park. I feel really fortunate to be able to live here and serve here, serve the community here. Um, I also pivoted from a for-profit career. I spent most of my career in advertising and creative agencies where I did creative resource management and human resource management. About seven years ago, I hit a sort of wall and I said, I, I, need, to, I need to find more impact in my life. I was doing um, 
uh, project read at the San Francisco Public Library. I was a tutor for uh, an adult learning literacy skills, and I was really moved by that work and the whole community to see that one person learning to read would change the course of their family's trajectory. And so I was really also into that intergenerational impact. And so seven years ago, I, I took the leap. I left a really cush job in human resources. I had made my way up and um, I went and started as a job developer at a, at a local nonprofit here and learned the ways, but really found how much my experience and skills in human resources was able to really parlay into this work, knowing what businesses were were up against in terms of hiring and then and then really coaching and leveraging the many years of recruiting I did to help people who were you know building their confidence uh, skills uh, in job search um, people who had suffered through trauma and, and and work trauma so moving through that and, and sort of finding community and accountability and, and new skills so that was something that always inspired me in my for-profit job is really helping people connect to organizations like learn it so that their jobs were more fulfilling and they were continuing to learn. Um, so I've really been so grateful that I've been able to spend the past you know few years still learning a lot from you know veterans like Erica in this space. I still have a lot to learn, but I think um, it's telling that you know you can you can pivot and move your your skills around and really apply them to to new frontiers. So excited to be here. Thank you so much, Annie. Um, yeah, that's that's incredible, and it's interesting how everyone has come to come to where the, where we are from different angles, right? I know when I was talking to Erica initially, I was like, "How did you get into the nonprofit profit space?" And she's like, "Well, it was kind of always it was always going to be what I did." And then for others, it's kind of an evolution. So, um, just thank you all of you for being here. Um, I want to start with a question kind of directed towards Michael, but as always, each of you feel free to weigh in. Um, we talked a lot, Michael, about kind of um, actually everyone works around like workforce development in this room and even around and, and housing and just um, and how not just the pandemic, but just this transition to hybrid work has kind of affected how we all work for all of you, you know, externally serving clients, but also in your community, but also internally, um, you know, with your internal teams. And I'm wondering, um, Michael, you know, how do we make the work, the workspace more inclusive kind of in this era of remote and hybrid, hybrid work, both internally. And then if you also want to speak to how that kind of affected your work, you know, with, with your community too. Yeah, we can't escape the downsides of COVID, um, but at the same time, it brought to light some really good questions that have been decades in the, in the making. And now we're starting to see the results of it through the great resignation. People are calling the great resignation where people sat at home and really thought about, am I happy? I just spent more time with my family or I planted a garden or I'm, I'm learning a new skill and they're really, or they're not commuting three to four hours a day. And that brought up a lot of good questions. I'm, I'm, I'm the type I actually really like conflict. I know some people don't. I actually run for it. I always remember the universe is created through conflict, fission, fusion, lava explosions, creating more land. So for me, this time period and for our organization, even housing, um, which really likes to discuss questions like this, it, it really asked us, are we inclusive? When all of a sudden we started hearing things people weren't talking about before because they were in a rut, they were stuck, you know, brought this up. So, so at Eden, we literally talk about this, it seems like every day. One of my jobs 
is organizational development, internal communications, keeping a pulse on the workforce, seeing how they're feeling about it. And so we really try to take it from an empathetic approach. So if I were them, what would give me the best work experience? And that's where inclusivity comes in. Is everyone invited to play, to be their best, to have flexibility? Um, so, so again, one, one of the things we do is we survey a lot of our staff. And we ask them, what does it look like? What does inclusivity look like to you? Um, and that brings a lot of easy solutions oftentimes. And then it also brings some challenging solutions, but we take it to the table and we have a really good structure of how to address this, how to revise policy and how to, with a lot of transparency, show them that we're listening to them and answering their questions. That's where the internal communications come in is making sure that there's a direct line connect from frontline staff up to executives and not in some slow bureaucratic plotting way, which irritates us all and makes us want us, wants us to dissolve governmental institutions. But you got to be a little quicker now. Our, our, the generation of who we're working with is ranging, you know, from gen, you know, the, the baby boomer all the way to the millennials and whatever the new alphabet letter is next month. Um, and so we got to respond pretty quick with the changes in technology. We're in Silicon Valley, so that's what people are used to also. And so doing all this um, uh, authentic communication really helps us with the inclusivity, people feeling heard. That's really what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah, no, love that. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. And I think that also touches to, like, Erica, a question for you. I know during your career at Compass, but even just especially in the last year, you know, um, Compass has grown, like grown dramatically. Um, and you even, you know, you, we spoke a little bit about kind of the resilience piece as a nonprofit making it through the pandemic and also just the transition to hybrid work. Um, but I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about, and I think this also goes to, to all of you, but about your experience kind of growing the organization, um, you know, from even just for you, a handful of employees to, you know, um, 200 plus. So um, just wondering how, how that culture has evolved, how your leadership style has evolved, um, and kind of how that's, how that's impacted you and how it's helped you grow. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, this Compass Family Services, uh, when I started, I was young, the organization was young. I would have characterized it then in, as maybe like a toddler and now we're definitely at least a mature adult. Um, I kind of stumbled into the executive directorship um, sort of ambivalently because I was you know, really all about direct services. Um, and with a small organization, you can stay close to the, to the work or closer to the work and the bigger the organization gets, the further you are from what's actually happening on the ground, yet you're the voice of the organization and you have to have that passion and you have to really feel it to be, you know, communicating to your donors and your prospects and to everyone else out there about the work in detail and with passion so that you're convincing them that this is, you know, something that folks should support and have interest in. Um, so I think that's a challenge when an organization grows. and. Um, you know, on the one hand, we uh, went from being so small and scrappy with almost no infrastructure, you know, we did everything ourselves to having a pretty robust infrastructure. Um, and that has been great because it's allowed us to do so much more, um, you know, so many more services for families. Um, but at the same time, the trade-off is that 
you know, I really like to have a close relationship with everyone on my staff. And that was easy when I had 25 people on my staff. And now I have like 160 people on my staff. And it's a lot harder. Although interestingly enough, during COVID, sometimes it felt like it was easy, more, more easy to con connect with people because, you know, you're seeing people on Zoom, even though Zoom is kind of horrible, um, but more face to face, but not in, in, in the flesh. Um, so that's been kind of interesting. Um, and change in communication where, um, you know, if you have a bigger organization, you have to be a lot more purposeful about your organization. And I think um, there's been also a change generationally in what the expectations are about communication. You know, for example, when I was originally um, with this organization, I was running our family shelter program. And all I wanted to do was be left alone to run my program. I didn't care what was happening in development or in finance or in other parts of the organization. Just give me the money. Let me run my program. And it's way different now. Folks want to know what's going on. They want to be part of all the decisions. Um, and they expect transparency, communication. And it took me a bit of time to get used to that, to be perfectly honest. Um, so like less intimacy, but a lot more resources. And um, there are still some things, vestiges of the old days that I think I struggle to let go of. I still kind of feel like if I want something done, I, I don't have an admin. I'm probably the only um, you know, larger organization, um, ED in the Bay Area or in the world maybe that doesn't have an admin, but you know, I'm just gonna, I'll, I'll do it myself. I wanna make my own schedule. I kind of need that autonomy. Um, and I'd like to know what's going on kind of at a deeper level in each program, which is, I think, important, but you have to have some balance because obviously if you have a large organization that's doing all sorts of different um, initiatives, you, you can't spend your time like in the weeds. But um, I, try, I try to kind of achieve that balance. I feel like that's one of the bigger struggles for me, kind of letting go um, and just saying, okay, I know, I know everything's working as it should. Um, and I'm just going to trust that and kind of go with the high level communication. Yeah, I think that that makes a huge, that makes a huge difference. I think it's especially in terms of driving impact, like learning to let, learning to let go and know that just because you're not doing every single small task doesn't mean you're not overseeing the larger mission. Um, and I know Annie, Annie, JVS is really devoted to, to workforce development. Um, and you mentioned that some of your changes with, with remote work have made kind of the digital divide even, even wider for people just internally with skills and then in the community. And um, I'm wondering how do you kind of help, you know, as a leader bridge those gaps to help kind of equalize learning, you know, for access to leadership programs, um, both internally and then, you know, externally for, for, for the community. Thanks, Carly. Great question. And, and Erica, we're training office admins. If, if you want me to send one over to you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Very tempting. Keeping it real. Um, so yes, you know, with over 100,000 people in San Francisco without access to reliable internet, uh, mostly affecting elderly community people and communities of color, you know, it's and, and, and the fact that we're offering our skills training um, for the most part online, we do sort of a hybrid. Um, it's just required us to double down in both our um, community partnerships. So we can't, no, it, it doesn't work anymore. And, and actually it, it 
didn't really work well before the pandemic to just, you know, rely on an email blast or a, um, a marketing campaign on Facebook. Um, not everyone is is uh, is able to access those channels. Um, and so um, we we were, you know, when we the pandemic first hit, you know, we doubled down with our funders and said, we're going to need some extra resources here. We're going to need, you know, everyone's going to have to have a computer if they don't have one to access our services. So it wasn't kind of this, you know, find your own computer and then call us back it was like let we're going to help you find a laptop and we're going to help you find um, a webcam and you know even if the space of your learning is tiny in your apartment and and you've got you know your your high schooler over there on using some of your broadband we're going to help you try to boost this home learning environment so we really were so um really blessed with our funders really rose to the occasion we were able to you know not only help people set up their home learning environments but also um, have some um, funds to support their um, you know, living expenses during training. Because what we're finding is um, real, real, um, real need for childcare, um, especially f uh, affecting our female identifying clients with small children at home and who are trying to juggle the learning and the job search at the same time. Um, you know, benefits we're seeing, you know, when the benefits run out, you know, people are on that precipice. And so um, that becomes, you know, a really just ongoing challenge for us and like you know trying to do diligence to the length of training some of our tech trainings are a little bit longer for example we have an it support training and we leverage the google coursera it support certificate that's a six-month program we try to accelerate it a little bit and, and and we have a technical instructor to help people guide through the process we have some hands-on activities so one thing i'm really i, I just want to leave with this this group here today is that you know there's a lot of online content out there but let me tell you you need support to go through these programs i mean they're intensive especially if you're pivoting and learning new skills jvs and other organizations that we have you know the honor to work with like code tenderloin is doing some amazing work in workforce development um and that you know we 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 need the human touch uh we need you know to to really have those wraparound services for people who are learning um and then just a little note about the the internal staff you know i couldn't agree more with what erica said about the transparency and you know which is why you know when we open up like a new strategic plan we'll we'll open it up and have a committee where people can join and um decide whether or not they kind of want to observe the process or be more engaged with it and, and we'll give people, um, especially, you know, more of our frontline staff opportunities to present work and, and really be engaged with that kind of typically what might have been done at the executive level and then trickled down somewhere where we're opening more doors and, and to with what Michael is saying about this surveying, we surveyed our staff, you know, from a diversity, equity, inclusion lens and really learned a lot. JVS kind of had a a corporate, you know, get to work identity, which worked for so many years for us. It was this like be, you know, your best self at work, but some of our staff felt like they couldn't bring their authentic selves in sort of, you know, what we talk about this white supremacist, you know, professionalism um, ethos. And, and so sort of we, we have a committee called Dismantling White Supremacy, which is just looking at themes around, you know, where our work really does, you know, can can isolate our own our 
our own um, staff who identify um, with BIPOC communities. So it was, it's been a quite a year, uh, quite a year for us, so. Yeah, thank you, Annie, for speaking so like openly too. Um, I think it's too, it's an interesting thing with with being in the nonprofit space too, right? Like you're like, well, we do such great work, you know, we're a leader in this field, but like, you know, everyone has everyone has their blind spots or there's, you know, there's things to be improved or worked on. Um, and I'm wondering too, just, you know, for, for each of you as leaders, you know, what leadership skills have been most crucial for you in helping you, you know, lead your teams, but also maybe even like drive internal change within your organization and kind of like lead with lead lead by example. I'm wondering if there's any big skills. I know Michael to to you up. I know we talked about like kind of time and project management and being a leader in that sense, but would love to maybe start with you and then we can take turns. Well well the thing is about you know I, I teach time and project management. I love it. It's something I do every day. Um and meaning that I deliberately spend my time. So my time doesn't work me, I work my time. But how does that work for a, a company? Why is that so important for a company? And one of the things is about you, you need a motivated workforce. So, so a motivated workforce is a high quality workforce. They come back to work. But in this age, it's about work-life balance. So before maybe, you know, stereotypical 80s and 90s, it's all about the money, all about the cash, who's making the most. And now we're hearing something different from the workforce as they've aged through that. And maybe they still have college debt and they want to send their kids to college. You know, we're, we're getting through that. So at Eden Housing, uh, it goes back really to, I'll use as an example, what's going on with hybrid and remote workforce to talk about how we use inspiration to motivate our staff. You know, some positions might enable people to work, at home, you know, or to work remotely, um, but other jobs may require that face-to-face -face customer interaction. So for instance, our maintenance, our, our management, our resident services personnel at Eden Housing, they need to have a, a connection with the residents and see them and, and have certain transactional relationships. But we do believe that we should offer as much flexibility as reasonably possible on our for our staff. So we ask the question and we actually invite them to discuss it with us, um, going back to those surveys, um, to design a work environment that allows the maximum flexibility to accommodate the plethora of lifestyles in the Eden family. So we're about 450 going on 500 employees. And we the conversation that needs to happen, and again, we're still developing how to have this conversation, is we wanna give you flexibility but you still got to get your job done. That's where my dad comes in. It's like, you still, you know, you still have to perform your duties. So everybody has a different role. So for instance, at our company, yeah, a janitor may need to be on site, you know, full-time each week, but what flexibility can we offer them? But at the same time, you know, our developers, they have no choice but to be up at night at city council meetings till 2 a.m. in the morning sometimes. So flexibility looks different for different positions. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to, at the point of recruitment and at the point of onboarding is really help people understand this is the job role. This is your job duties. And we're gonna make this an inclusive environment for you by finding out how much flexibility we can give you. We're pushing it as far as we can because we learned a lot of things and we're humbled during uh, the, the pandemic that shattered 30 years of baby boomer construct. And, and for instance, 
going back to the person commuting four hours a day, because that's a true story. If you buy a home in Tracy and you come to Hayward, which is our central office, you can easily be two hours one way and two hours the other way. Well, that creates inequity. How? Well, that's four hours a day you can't go to the gym, that you can't go to that outdoor restaurant, that you can't be with your children at soccer practice. Um, whereas they're looking like my boss lives 15 minutes away, they make higher income, and they get all these fun things that they get to do because they have more flexibility. So, so for us, we're trying to inspire and motivate our workforce by, by adapting as much flexibility we can around their job. And this is a continuing conversation because people's lives change. You can't slap down one policy and call it equal because equal is not equitable. <laughs> you know, oh, everybody has to come to the central office. Again, I stated why that's not necessarily fair. But at Eden Housing, when, when the DEI conversation came up, why we took a serious look at it is because we've always been about equity. Since 1968, we turned the spotlight on neighborhoods where you have your nannies and your baristas and your dry cleaner and your landscapers who make a tenth of what you're making and they have to drive an hour to get home. Why can't they live where they work? What's wrong with this? You trust them to wipe your baby's bottom, but you don't trust them to be next door. You know, so, so Eden Housing's all been, always been about that conversation. And DEI was like, okay, now let's turn that lens on our staff. Is that the same thing? You know, are we making it so that our own employees can be with their family and buy their own home and have more flexibility so that they really stick with Eden Housing, not because of our comparable salaries, which are good for the Bay Area, but for all the other benefits of, wow, I can really be myself. And, and these are the questions that right now when you're motivating a workforce, um, anybody who's in HR or the leader of a company or boards need to right now be workforce focused because that's gonna help support their mission. You have to have a strong workforce that's driven to say, I'm sticking around, I'm gonna make ABC companies successful. So really it's a great time to be in, but it's gonna ask a lot of uncomfortable questions because before many of us did things because the boss or the board said so, but we're living in a society now that just doesn't look at authority the same way. <laughs> they wanna be on equal level with the authorities and have a say in it. And never before in history has it been so vocal where it's turning over in society. The workforce is very powerful right now and it's gonna have, this is gonna be a huge change in the nation and in the world. Um, as we see going forward. So I really suggest that nonprofits who stereotypically, it's not true, nonprofits who have always been viewed as kind of behind, you know, corporate America. No, this is an opportunity for some low hanging fruit to change the workforce, to, to make our companies more solvent uh, for the next 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah, a lot of aha moments. I feel like my like I feel like I could could have written a lot of that down, Michael. Yeah, that's um I love the flexibility. I think someone else said this in the chat. The idea of like like discussing, having an open discussion about flexibility in the hiring process too and in the onboarding process. I feel like that's you know, that that would be huge and then so much value to the both the employee and the employer. Um Annie or Erica, anything to add to that in terms of you know, leadership skills you feel have, have, you know, enabled you to be a better leader or that you feel like are just really crucial right now? Yeah, um, I don't know, kind of thinking about what Michael was just talking about. I've definitely struggled with all this and I don't think I have it as um, kind of clearly worked out as Michael did. Maybe we need to talk after, um, you know, but from like the pandemic has been 
from like before that kind of day one where it was clear, like, okay, we're sheltering in place. Um, you know, I'll always remember kind of moments of panic of what should we do and having a conversation with my development director where she was like, some people don't need to be here right now. It, my department, you know, can go home. We need to flatten the curve. And I was like, no, we all need to stay here because if we're putting some people at risk, you know, the people on the front lines, I'm not going to go home and, you know, sit and work from my dining room um, while, you know, our folks who are teaching in early childhood programs, who are working in our shelter, who are giving out food. Um, and, you know, we're facing families when the pandemic hit with needs that just were huge. And, you know, we deal with family homelessness, so the needs are already huge. But all of a sudden it was like, okay, people who need to shelter in place, but they're on the streets. Where are they going to shelter in place? Families that lost income if they had jobs immediately, families that were housed that couldn't pay their rent, families that couldn't pay for food, couldn't pay for diapers, isolation, couldn't deal with the remote, um, you know, teaching for their children. So it was like, we need to, we need to be here. Um, so it's really been a struggle ever since. Um, we had to pivot to as much remote work as could be sustained. But for me, one of the big kind of principles that I live by in my profession is I'm not going to ask anyone to do something that I'm not going to do myself. Um, so, you know, in those early days, I was like, I'm going to show up if I'm going to ask you to show up and I'm going to expect the whole senior leadership team to show up. And the amazing thing was our board also showed up, you know, in those darkest days, giving out food, giving out diapers, um, you know, delivering meals and all of that. Um, and we've really, for the most part, gone back um, at this point to mostly in-person on site. But I do struggle with that. You know, we do have positions and we have departments where folks don't necessarily have to be on site. And I could really do my job from my dining room table, like probably in perpetuity, but it just doesn't feel right to me. So I go in every day and I sit at my desk and I get on my Zoom meetings just because, I don't know, it, it feels... Can I respond to that, Erica? Yes. This yes. Is, I love throwing stuff on the table and, and hopefully this discussion seeds discussions other places. You know, I'm going to take a maintenance person, for example. Um, a maintenance person who wants to be a maintenance person, that's their goal, understands that they're going to need to walk into apartments every day. So, so it just wouldn't be the conversation we're trying to have is for every person who has their job. It's like, are you really satisfied in your job position? That's, you know, we do career path planning. Um, at our company. And so, because that's the question that the great resignation is bringing up and why people are moving out of the workforce, because people are asking themselves that question, we want to join that conversation with them. So if a maintenance person says, you know what, I really would like to work at home. It's like, okay, but how are you going to fix the toilet from home? So, so maybe you, what do you really want to do in life? And let's have that conversation so that you're satisfied, because we want you here if we have a position for you. And so that you can feel good about it and make your mission. So it's a hard conversation to have, but um, it's going to have to be had because some people want to come into work, like you said, for, for the reason. Um, others uh, others um, want more flexibility for a plethora of reasons. Yeah, it's very complicated. Yeah, there's there's no easy answers. Annie, anything to weigh, weigh in on? I think we also have... Um, we have also have a question in the chat. But anything, anything to weigh in on? There's so many great yeah. conversations in the chat right now. <laughs> I 
I'm just calling out um, Carla's uh, remark on trusting your team is important. I mean, I think we were all just, you know, thrown for for such a loop we'd never really gone through and, and going remote so um, uh, drastically in, in a short period of time. I mean, if you asked me in January of 2020 if JVS would ever deliver some of our services online, I'd say, I don't know, you know, and then fast forward to March where it was like, okay, we all need to get comfortable on Zoom. Let's, you know, you know, talk to all of our students who are active in programs, seeing if they can, you know, log on. I mean, it was, it was, I, I can go back to that time and kind of sort of recall this intensity um, of, you know, what to do, what to do next. And, and also we, we struggled with that, you know, um, who goes in, who doesn't. Um, and uh, just now are starting to bring students in some classes into the office. I went into the office the other day for the first time in over a year, and I, I just felt this like, I mean, it was almost like being in an archaeological dig, like it was, you know, some whiteboards still had notes from, from last year. And um, But I, I really, um, there, there was a term the other day, I, I, I follow Adam Grant, he's an organizational psychologist, he has a podcast called Work Life, has a lot of great work out there around kind of what Michael's bringing in on the organizational psychology and organizational development, but this collective effervescence that we even get when we're writing the Muni or, or you know, sort of being among among people. So that's something as, as an extrovert, um, and I think introverts too, do need that in, in human contact. So how do you replicate that? I, I don't know. Um, although I've been getting good at reading people on, on Zoom, like I can tell, you know, wow, someone, um, is is not there or and and it and and i've i think that's been one of my you know real learning moments is is to really listen to people and and if i just have a little sense that something's off like get a meeting with them and say you know how how can i help let's let me you know hear what's going on um i saw this quote from brene brown this clear is kind unclear is unkind and so to the best of our abilities as leaders to be as clear about roles and responsibilities and who's doing what, even if sometimes you have to say, it's today we need to sort this out. Um, and then we'll, you know, tomorrow look at trying to set up something a little bit more long-term and sustainable. I don't have all the answers right now, but that's better than trying to, you know, create something that doesn't represent the reality of the situation your team might find themselves in because it just, it changes often day to day, so. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's so, that's so true. The clearest kind piece and just like direct communication, you know, no matter where you're sitting in an organization or where, you know, where you're at. Um, we kind of, I kind of pulled our community and this kind of speaks to, I think it's Kimberly's question that came in through the chat. Um, Amy, to quickly answer your question, yes, this, the recording will be provided after this session. Um, but, you know, for each of you kind of individually, if you can think about, you know, how, and again, again, I think Erica, maybe it happened more organically for you, but in kind of designing like a career that, that has felt meaningful and purposeful for you, like how did how were you able to do that? Was it just a natural evolution? Was it something, you know, you had a moment where you're like, I really, you know, Annie, maybe more for you is like, I I want to I want to pivot and change this. But I'm wondering how you've come back to maybe like 
an intention or or just a mission that drives you that's helped you kind of evolve and design your career so that you're like, oh, I am driving impact. I'm like on my team, I'm, I'm having an impact on my community. I'm wondering if there was either a moment or just, you know, how you've been able to kind of design that. Cause I think it's something that's a lot of people have taken the time to reflect on and are reflecting on currently. Michael, you want to go first? Yeah, go ahead. I just hate dead air. Uh, so for, for anyone who's just listening. Me too, yeah. I have to go back to my dad. Um, and honestly, he, he was the type of person who, despite chaos going on in the world, he's like, well, touch, you, touch what you can. Like, so if you can help somebody, go help that person there. That's gonna give you that feeling that you need. And maybe that person is gonna pay it forward. So I, I have a personal mission statement where I find happiness in helping other people succeed. So that can be a whole gamut of different things, right? It could be family, it could be uh, friends that I have, I want them to succeed. It could be people I mentor. It could be my organization whose mission I believe in. So I want them to succeed. So, so if people out there are kind of thinking like, well, what makes me happy? What's your personal mission? What values do you have? And do you have a value that could contribute to every facet of your life, no matter what you do? Um, and so that we do that kind of work at our organization. We do leadership training and we have people really work on their personal mission statements. We talk about our mission all the time. Do you believe? We ask people on their first day when they get hired at our company, we ask them, what does home mean to you? So right away, they get to think, oh, stability, family, love, video gaming. Okay, a safe place to video, whatever it means to you. This is what you're trying to give to our residents. This is what we're trying to empathize with our residents. They want that too. So your job, no matter what you're doing, contributes to that, making other people's homes. So I think finding your own personal mission is going to help connect with whatever your nonprofit mission is. And if it doesn't connect, great resignation. No, just kidding. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Erica, you want to weigh in? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, when we talked previously, as you mentioned, um, I shared that looking back, I, I don't really feel like I chose my path. It kind of chose me, which at one point I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. And then I was kind of like, that's kind of twisted and <laughs> problematic, <laughs> but here I am. Um, and I've, I've loved this work. Um, I don't think I could not do it because to not do anything just feels, it just doesn't feel right. It feels, um, you know, just like the wrong thing to do. Um, like I said earlier, I, you know, I'm a social worker by training. Um, I had a moment back when I was running our family shelter at Compass and there was an opportunity where the executive director was stepping down and we had someone in between that I was like, eh, it was okay to work with them. So it was like, you can see who comes in or you can go for this. And I went for it kind of ambivalently. Um, you know, what did I know about finance? What did I know about fundraising? Um, and I think I've tried to, I, I, I love what I do and I've learned those skills. Obviously I still have a lot to learn. We all always have a lot to learn, but um, I had um, a wonder, I have a wonderful board and I've been able to do the job, but still stay close to the pieces that are the most meaningful to me. So, you know, I, we probably have kind of a weird org chart. I'm closer to our programs than an ED might be in my, in, you know, the, with the organization, the size of Compass. Um, at one point, you know, 
I was expressing to my board, and this was a number of years ago where I feel like I'm not out there enough, you know, dealing with the policy issues. And I just can't seem to be in all the places I need to be. And they were like, do what you want to do and what like feeds you the most. And let's, we'll hire someone to do the other thing. And I was like, really, we can do that. (laughs) And so um, I still like sometimes feel kind of guilty about it, but we hired a policy director because policy was really not my thing. Um, and she's brilliant at it and she loves it and it's her dream job. So, you know, kind of finding that flexibility um, where sometimes you think you can't, um, you know, for me, that's worked really well. And I'll just add it's partnerships, partnerships, partnerships. It's learning from other organizations who are either in your space or you need to, you know, build your referral base, learning from others. Like I just sometimes I probably take too many of these calls because I have to, you know, pivot and go back and look at the budget and, and other aspects of my role as a director at JVS. But, you know, I love you know, for example, we're funded uh, significantly by the mayor of San Francisco's office in their office of economic and workforce development. And lately we've been getting together as sectors. So the tech tech sector, which I represent healthcare, city build is the building and trades and, and hospitality. And we're just having some great conversations, A, around the digital skills needed in all of these occupations. So no longer is it just the digital skills rely, you know, sort of stay in in tech. Um, so it's it's just I, I really value those partnerships. And and you know, if you see an organization that you're you're like, wow, I, I just saw their, you know press release about this new program they're doing like reach out to them and say like how'd you set that up like people really do like to talk about their work and their programs and sharing and i think if the pandemic taught us anything it's like we have to come together in a larger way to support people who've been affected disproportionately by the pandemic either you know losing their homes or jobs and and so that's that's what i really value about this work and learning and and to kind of the question of designing your business model is have it an open system, bring the feedback in. I love that. I love that. I think partnerships are are huge and it's actually also kind of an opportunity to get creative and make your work more exciting. So um, I, I love that too, Annie. Um, I think we probably have time for for one more question. Um, actually, this is a Brene Brown question that she asked on her, her podcast. So Annie might appreciate this, but what is the best piece of advice you've received and, and or what is one poor piece of leadership that we should kind of steer away from or abandon going into 2022? <laughs> um, let's see, Michael, you wanna start and we'll go from there. Yeah, simply um, the golden rule is the best piece of advice I've ever learned, you know, 2000 years old, Jesus Christ, do one to others as you want done to yourself. If you just think about that all the time, a lot of problems solved. Um, the, the one thing that I steer away from with leadership is the term, get it done. If you want to see me go off the heezy in a meeting, it's let me hear a manager say to somebody else, get it done. You're not taking into account the environment. You're not taking into account if they have the training or if they have the wrong equipment even. I remember there was one time where a batch of our uh, employees were not using an app that we asked them to use on a regular basis. The phones were too small. It wasn't a training issue, the phones were too small. So telling them to get it done was only adding frustration uh, to the thing. So that's, anybody listening to this, don't ever say that again, please. Don't say get it done. First, analyze the issue and make sure you have all the facts and see, again, if you can help them to succeed. 
I love it. I never thought about it that way. Um, Erica, do you have anything on the top of your tip of your tongue you have to share? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I mean, the best piece of advice I think to me is kind of obvious, which is listen. And um, even when you think you know the answer, listen, seek diverse opinions, diverse voices. A long time ago, I used to think I knew everything. And then I think a little maturity happened and I realized I don't know anything. Um, and um, it, I think it's harder to live that way, but it's a lot more real. Um, in terms of the worst advice, unfortunately, I think this is advice that maybe I gave myself. Um, like back in my earlier leadership days, um, I, I think I really kind of bought into the idea that running an organization, like every penny um, needs to go to direct services um, and spending things on frivolous uh, things like marketing, um, you know, oh, that's, that's a waste of money and we should do everything ourselves. And, you know, a lean infrastructure means more money going to direct service, totally bought into the nonprofit starvation cycle. Um, and, you know, at the time it made sense. We were a very lean, poor organization. When people bought colored post-its instead of those ugly white ones, I would like have a panic attack. Um, but over time I realized and I learned that, you know, and, and the analogy was um, if the organization's too lean, then you're eating the muscle down to the bone. Um, and I learned that you need to build those muscles, build the infrastructure. There's a purpose for marketing, even though it might seem like kind of like in the face of homelessness, why are we doing this? But to bring in more resources, to bring attention to the issue, um, you know, and today we have the organization I run has like a really um, robust infrastructure and we're able to do so much more that way. And that was like a big lesson for me. Um, And I'll just stick with the, the clear is kind, unclear is kind um, is great advice. Um, and then the worst, um, uh, the higher, slow, fire, fast. I, I always, you know, I could I could get it in like the, yeah, we need to, you know, move this worker and, and keep productivity. This is this kind of from my HR days. Um, I just, I don't mind the higher, slow part. I know it's it's important to find the right people and, and the people to find you and make sure it's a good fit. But I just, in, in my HR days, sat in on a lot of termination conversations where I just would look at the person and it looked like, you know, they were so shocked. Um, and so taking the time to give people more regular feedback so that, you know, these conversations aren't, aren't a surprise. So I'll leave with that. Thank you so much, Annie. Thank you, Erica. Thank you, Michael. Um, we have, I have a couple of resources for people that I'll share after this on how they can stay connected to each of your organizations. Um, but I also just wanted to give you an opportunity, you know, are there any programs or anything specifically that you can call out now that can that people can contribute to um, going into the end of the year? Michael, I will start with you. I know there's a podcast, but um, and I'll put the link to that in the chat and share afterwards. But anything else coming up with Eden that we can share with folks? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, it affects every community. Some people are calling it or, you know, tuning in outside of California. So I asked them to find out what affordable housing companies are doing in their areas. But for those who are curious about Eden Housing's work, how to support it. Um, we have our website, edenhousing.org. And on there, there's several tabs. One is a volunteer tab, which works out really well. Actually, people are finding, oh, I can volunteer in different ways, including like financial literacy. Like we've, we had during the pandemic, several 
community members step forward and provide on Zoom financial literacy training to some of our residents. And our goal is for our residents to go on and purchase a home. So that's key, you know, that's a really key service. Um, so there's all kinds of ways to volunteer at Eden Housing, even if it's just participating during say National Night Out the first Tuesday of August every year and joining a party. You wanna join a party? Come to National Night Out and we'll find something for you to do. Uh, and of course there's, they can donate or find out, um, keep up with the news on Twitter, we're on LinkedIn, we're constantly posting what we're doing. And if you're curious about what's happening in your neighborhood, you can always contact our communications department and um, we'll, we'll, we'll keep you in tune with how to get more housing into your, your neighborhoods. Awesome, thank you so much. I just put the link in the chat, I'll share more afterwards. But um, Erica, how about you? I'll, I'm gonna share that, the file you shared with me, I'll put that in the chat now too, but anything specifically to call out? Yeah, thanks, Carly. So um, at compass-sf.org, um, there's opportunities to donate money, but there's also, um, with the holidays approaching, we do a pretty massive Adopt-A-Family program. Um, so opportunities to sign up for that if you want to do something that's a little more personal. We have uh, like Amazon wish lists of items that our families ask for and need, and we always have volunteer opportunities um, of all sorts. And if you have a group that's interested in during the pandemic, we did um, these little uh, like press conferences um, just every couple of weeks. And um, anyone who was interested could come on and learn about what we were doing at Compass on Zoom. And we're happy to do those for like a group or workplace or whatever personalized. Um, so just you know, reach out and let us know. Amazing. Thanks so much, Erica. And Annie, how about GBS? Yeah, I'm going to just um, pop our link in there. We will accept donations. You know, we're looking for to support people during their job searches and, and we'll, we'll also, you know, be able to elevate those funds to support our um, programs. Um, and we also love corporate volunteers. Similarly to Eden Housing, we'll, we'll bring in people to do, to share their career stories uh, at various um, <clears throat> activities, uh, mock interview events. I'm going to put my email in the chat as well. We'd love to hear from you. And now that we're remote, we could have someone calling in from let's see Walla Walla Washington I think I saw um, and then I just want to leave with a little um, book recommendation um, we've been reading at JVS we had the honor of having the author um, attend one of our um, learning sessions it's a great book called long life learning uh, preparing for jobs that don't even exist yet. It really addresses, I think, aspects that we're seeing in the great resignation and, and the skills that are needing to, you know, help people continue to pivot over our longer lives. I mean, there's one sort of opening scene that caused me to sort of pause in my tracks, which is that we might be living among people who are going to live till they're 150. Um, so this sort of, you know, Earn, uh, learn, earn, and rest model that we've been that Michael sort of talked about in this like older you know generation is 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 changing. Um, so, thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Learn It podcast. We wish you well on your learning journey, and see you next time.